0: Welcome back to another episode of the Magnus and Marcus Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, coach at the University of Houston, author of The Science of Running, and I'm joined by John Marcus, coach of High Performance West.
1: John, we're back. We're still here. We're still here. And back to give the people what they want, what they so dearly have been missing. That's right. That's right. Freedom of while the Well, we still have freedom of press. <laughs> yeah. Long live the revolution. <laughs> Before we get <laughs> shut down we're here to
0: talk talk yes. talk talk so uh and offline and in, in debating what to talk about we brought up interval training and you know this is like a topic near and dear to my heart because i think it's one of the misunderstood most misunderstood topics in coaching and that goes for like running but it also it goes beyond that to team sports and individuals and people who do crossfit and all that good stuff and i think it is understanding what intervals are and also understanding that there is no special magic interval that translates to this specific adaptation only and it's what we should do.
1: True. Yes. Intervals are a tool. That It's, it's a tool in your shed to use to help build the house, which is a competitive athlete. When and where and how to use that is under the purview of the coach. But so often it's not like, you know, the hammer works really well, and it works really well for a lot of things. But many times you use a hammer when you're supposed to use a screw or a staple gun or a paintbrush, and you ruin the exact thing you're trying to build. And far too often the overdependency. And simplification without depth of understanding of intervals, I have seen and I have also in my early coaching career and sometimes probably even now, you know, stunted or ruined an athlete's ability to perform, which is all that counts, um, by getting so hyper excessive or geeked out or excited about a particular interval or ser- sequence of er- interval sessions. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think it's something that young coaches tend to uh, fall trap to, because it's the one thing that you can, like, control as a coach. When you start coaching, you're like, oh, all right, like, how do I manipulate these hard sessions? Like, today, are we going to do 10 by 400? Are we going to do, you know, 6 by 800? All these standard sessions, and we have this need to categorize them so they become like vo2 max or speed endurance or anaerobic capacity or whatever have you and i think what happens is we fall into these like default interval sets like everyone does 10 by 400s or 8 by 400 with a minute rest why because i don't know we've done it since roger bannister did it you know in the 50s and i think sometimes what happens is we we just end up defaulting to interval sets that we've always done or that have some special place in our, our heart as coaches or that we remember some athlete doing really fast or we saw in some book or training session and we, we almost assign magical importance to it. You know, My favorite one in the layman's terms is like the Tabata sprints that are used everywhere. And everyone like talks about them as if, oh, like, are you doing Tabata? Are you doing Tabata? And it's 20 seconds on, I think 10 seconds off is the interval set. And when people talk about it, they talk about it as if it has some, like, magic event, right? Oh, this is the key. And in my head, I'm like, well, you know, what if we just shift that to 15 seconds on? Or what if we take five more seconds rest? Like, is, does the workout now not work? Or does it just slightly change the adaptation? And I think getting away from this, like, specialized interval sets of, like, I need to do 800s at this pace with this much rest to hit in this zone to realizing that all these little variables that we can control, the rest, the speed, um, the intensity, the density of the work, how they're split into sets, how we run them, Like, those are all the tools of our trade. Those are the ways that we can be creative. Those are our paintbrushes as the artist of a coach. And when we get stuck in these, like, single default mode intervals, then we're almost painting with one paintbrush for each
1: type of workout. Great. Let's decode them. Let's... The default intervals for a typical middle distance distance runner let's say 800 to 10k runner let's decode them let's list them off i'll list several that come top of mind to me steve and if i miss any please you got it. insert okay mile repeats that's one repeat quarters that's two 600 400 300 200 breakdown that's three repeat 1k's that's four. And number five, one mile, 1,200, 800, 400. Those, those are the five that come to mind that are kind of like your Betty Crocker you know, recipe. Let me buy the Toll House morsels and just follow the prescription on the packaging to make a cookie type intervals. Am I missing anything? I mean, I think those are the bread and butter ones you see all the time. Okay, so let's decode them, all right? Let's decode them. Start with numero one, mile repeats. Steve, please, decode the mile repeat. Oh, man. So, y- you know, uh, well, what do you want me to decode? <laughs> let's start with that. <laughs> okay, well, maybe decode. Let's decode how they're, you know, how they are typically prescribed and why they're prescribed the way they typically are. And then understanding the higher understanding about what really are are you trying to get or could get out of a mile repeat session.
0: Right. So, you know, I think most of the time people use them as 10K to 5K pace work, essentially. So you're looking at anywhere from 4 to 6 by mile, sometimes more, sometimes less. Generally, the rest is either 400 jog or 2 to 3 minutes, something like that. And it's your kind of bread and butter aerobic capacity workout, your five k, ten k type strength endurance session, and I think that's I think a lot of people use that as almost the marker for five k fitness. If they do four by mile at this pace, then they are going to run this this uh, this time. And I think the the mistake there is that. Depending on how you modulate the speed and the recovery and all that stuff is that you can use miles from anything from a nice easy cruise tempo threshold work down to something crazy cranking, almost speed endurance type, uh, specific speed endurance for, for your event. And I think that, that instead of getting into this for example, I'll give you an example. Joe V. Hill, love the guy, great coach, all this stuff. But his his bread and butter is mile repeats, certain rest, certain percent of VO two max, and every three weeks, I believe they're gonna get a notch faster, right? Mm-hmm. And I I think you run into this habit of like being reliant on these mile repeats as a predictor instead of realizing what they're trying to do, which is get you to run fast, which is to give you some sort of
1: adaptation. Right. Remember, the goal of preparation is to perform and compete. That's the number one thing, once I understood that as a coach, it colors everything an athlete does or does not do in their preparation phases. That, to me, is top of mind, is the narrative that is like, constantly on loop in my head as i'm trying to help an athlete get ready for their racing block you know their peak you know phase or whatever i mean whatever it is it's a i mean i would say my repeat is like value meal number one at mcdonald's big mac and fries mm-hmm. i mean you know it 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 satisfies it's a very satisfying thing to do because so many people have done it before and you can do the thing which you shouldn't do is get reassured because you're like oh so-and-so did this last year or so-and-so on the team did this three years ago or so-and-so did this and then they ran this so now that means you're capable of doing it too you know you're satisfied it's an incomplete time of intensity and what i look at more is how much time are we doing things if you are uh you know national class female you can do four by five flat that's five minutes of good hard work it's too short or it's too long depending right you know um remind me of the texan physiol uh, physiologist researcher who is in norway steven seiler. seiler yeah brilliant 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 um it not just because he agrees with everything I do, and I'm a big fan of polarized training, and so is he, and so is a lot of world-class athletes who just figured this out on their own in the you know, middle of nowhere with no real garments or any kind of high-tech stuff. But eight minutes is a very magical number for if you're trying to do VO2 max or VO2 kinetic or VO2 velocity. Eight minutes. Eight-minute repeats yields your biggest bang for your buck. Four minutes – it, you know, it's kind of good. It's okay. It's be- it's better than, you know, two minutes or better than 16 minutes. But eight minutes is the magic number. So eight minutes is about, you know, a mile and a half. But doing a mile and a half, like good hard mile repeats, that's not the thing. Once a runner did not have, you know, one and a half mile repeats. It was one mile repeat. So that's familiar. And it's great. But I use, I'd say mile repeats with the Post collegiate professional runners that I work with once a year, just because it's a familiar thing. And if someone and I use it more as a psychological tool, like exactly. hey, when you do a mile repeat session, because you know what that means, you know what miles mean, you know what you've done so many mile repeats as a high school and college athlete, you know what that means. And then they do it, and i are like, oh my gosh, I just crushed this! I'm ready to go. That's all it really is. It's for me. It's more psychological. So it, no, it's that- once all the physiological work has been taken care of, then we get to do that because that there's that that confidence transfer but if you're doing it as the you know the main ingredient of your training cycles if every 3 weeks you're doing this because some famous coach said to do this you really need to question your approach because it's not aligned with the current data driven research that's highly suggestive not only in the labs but also more importantly through actual experiential data that it doesn't work as well as we thought so and i think
0: that's a good point of a deciding whether it's for psychology or physiology or some sort of mix of it um Mm -hmm. one of my favorite sessions is actually three to four by mile with three minutes rest um cranking it maybe two weeks out from a big race where I know someone's going to break through and that's the only time we'll ever do miles alone. (laughs) Because I've had several athletes who finished uh, their last mile of that in like 4.13, right? And then they walk off and be like, oh my God, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to crush it. And then they do. And there's this huge psychological boost. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm with you there. I think one of the things that I've often questioned is like, what do we do something because it's best, or we do we do something because it's familiar and that's what it's always always been done? And if you look at the way the track is measured and the way our distances are run, is we tend to do distance and repeats that relate to things that are familiar, right? So we mm-hmm. do mile repeats because we run the mile a lot, <laughs> right? And it's the longerish session, four laps, all that stuff. We do four hundred repeats for same reason. We do that a lot. And it's and in my head, I'm thinking like, well, what if I change this to 450 meters? Or what if I change this to 500 meters or to 2K repeats or to 1,800 meters? And I, I think then you get this change in physiology, but you also just get this change in psychology. Because if, yes. you, mm-hmm. if you watch athletes work out, if you tell them to run 400 meters, what happens is they run 390 meters. Mhm. Right, right? I mean, that, that's the reality. And then, like, even subconsciously, either they start slowing or they start going into this, like, arms flinging, flailing thing going on. Um, because the
1: last 10 steps are just coating. Yeah. They're not running. They're just, I got up to 60 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, and the last 10 steps, which are the most crucial steps at the end of the race, which you should be prepping and practicing people. I mean, It's ironic you brought this up. I just had a session today (laughs) with a young athlete, and I was telling her, like, Eleanor, you can't keep, that's a bad habit. We need to stop this ASAP, because that is the difference between getting first and getting fifth at the national class level.
0: Exactly. And I think that's something, like, people always cue, like, run through the line, whatever, but I think it it comes down to, like, um, when you sit there and you ask your athletes, I'm like, all right, how do you cope to get through a session of 400 repeats? You generally think of it as 400 meter repeats, right? You're not thinking like, oh, I'm running 10 quarters at mile pace. So this is like a mile or two miles or whatever have you. And so you, you have this defined endpoint of the endpoint is the lap and then I'll worry about the next one. And, and one of the things that we've, I've really t- started to think and push on is like, I don't want them to think like get, just get to this lap. Right, because when in they're in the middle of a mile or 5K or 3K, yeah, you can use that strategy to get to this next lap. But you really have to get to the last lap and finish the stupid race, right? So we have to practice like coping skills and psychological coping to get us to be able to do that. And and one of the ways you can kind of do that is to do distances repeats that don't end at where the finish line is, right? right yep because that gets you out of this like okay just make it to this lack kind of psychological coping and i think a lot of our workouts like engender that i mean for instance k repeats I mean, even though they end on the other side i look at k repeats they're great i use every sort of repeat session from hundreds or 50s all the way up to two miles three miles whatever have you but K repeats are, to me, are the repeats that you can fake your way through really well for a long distance runner because you just divide it up and you think, all right, two laps, and then it's just like 200 more meters, I'll be fine. So psychologically, that, to stay on pace, to do, for instance, 6K by K at 5K pace, a lot of times athletes can do that and they walk away and they're like, oh my God, I did 8,000 meters worth of work at my goal 5K pace, so I'm going to run a great 5K, then they go to the race and they're not, they can't handle it most of the times because they fall asleep and fall apart, you know, somewhere between, uh, somewhere around halfway to 3K because they can't focus because they're used to focusing for, you know, two and a half to three minutes running their their K repeats. So I, I, I think it's one of the things that is often very uh, underlooked in, uh, in interval sets is what's that psychological component and what are we trying to ingrain um, decision-making to get them to have those same thoughts when a race comes about.
1: Exactly. Workout day, interval day, that is the day to experiment and to fail depending on on the athlete you're working with and the gaps in their capacity, whether physical or mental. Now, you know, when I say fail, it's trying something that's a little bit outside the comfort zone. And, you know, the thing about numbers and measurements is it helps those on the path see like a little more clearly. But I should note that the master does not need the numbers or measurements as they already know how to see. And, how, and knowing how to see is very critical. So what we're talking about is we're talking about the difference between a line cook following a recipe and a sous chef creating a masterpiece or a main course. And what which are you after? Which are you trying to do in your practice as a coach? Do you want to fall? Like, Because you see a lot of help wanted signs, line cook, all the time, just follow the recipe, here's the ingredients, boom, just churn it out on the conveyor belt, very industrial mindset. But the sous chef making the new gourmet thing is going to have a lot of false starts or hiccups because the key thing that a sous chef does is they taste as they go. They're like, oh, that needs mm, a little more salt or oh, that needs a little bit more oregano. Ooh. Okay, they taste as they go. And that's One of the key things that differentiates those on the path to deliberate practice and mastery and those just simply repeating, repeating, repeating and thinking, if I just put in the reps, I'll magically get better. Yes, when you're a novice, that is the case. But when you crest that novice to an intermediate level, if you're just mindlessly putting in reps without any kind of critical process, you're not going to get much better. And so you know, that's really what you have to look at as the interval days are those are the days to prep for performing prep for racing so yes k repeats very standard you know about three minutes maybe four minutes worth of work depending on the ability level you're working with so how to change that up is are you taking a full lap rest equal one-to-one ratio recovery because that's aimed at getting a certain physiological stimulus are you taking 200 meters rest So, you know, a one to half a recovery. Or are you doing like, say, the session that, you know, I had a miler female do today, which is 1,200 meters, or no, excuse me, it was a K, sorry. A K at, you know, um, 3K race pace, 100 meter jog, and then 300 meters at 800 meter race pace. (laughs) So, that's a hard session, that's hard to do, and then a lap jog after that. So, it ends up being... Um, 1400 meters worth of work if you count the lap or the 100 meters easy. What we were trying to do there was okay, stroke that kind of VO2 esque that people know, or just that kind of uncomfortably hard, you know, re- zone or feeling. Okay, I got to focus to run 3k pace for a K. It's not hard, it's not easy, it's a kind of in between pace, like a little goalie walks. And then a 100-meter jog, which is not a long, long time, like 30 seconds. And then go sprint at 800-meter pace because I'm trying to teach you how to run very fast when somewhat fatigued. And that's a crucial skill you'll need in a race. So there's a hodgepodge of connecting the two. And it's like, okay, you got three minutes you know, and 15 seconds and 45 seconds combined. Boom. You get about four minutes worth of good work. That's a good way to break it up. Because that thirty second recovery is not not really recovery; it's a dread. It's thirty seconds of dread because you know you're going to have to run your butt off here for three hundred meters. So that's the thing. Convert one of the key things is we've you know touched on miles and K's and quarters here a little bit. The idea is convert the distance you're running into time, and then ask yourself the question: What am I trying to accomplish with each one of those athletes in that time? Either physically. Physiolog- or psychologically or psychophysiology, you know, the combination of mind and body, right? That's the, the critical distinction between a line cook and a sous chef. And that's where I encourage everyone listening is to elevate their coaching practice or their training practice to look at it a little bit more advanced because you're gonna get a lot more out of it. Instead of just being like, how fast is that? Oh write down, write down how fast the animal because if you if you champion the watch as the director rather than the recorder. You're going to get a lot of good robots who can time trial or can do exactly the pace that you want them to hit. And then when you ask them, oh, how was that rep? They'll be like, oh, it was slow. It was no good. Or like, oh, it was fast. It was great. It's like that's not the point if it was fast or slow. How would that feel? Did you feel powerful? Did you feel exhausted? You know, were, Were you working hard? Did you feel anything falling apart? I don't care if it was fast or slow based off the time I told you to run it in. You know, all the time you're telling an athlete to run their session is an expectation that you're going to work at this level. Like, again, my wife, who I've been coaching for a long time, today she's coming back from a a sinus or a respiratory infection, second, third session on the track, doing, you know, repeat quarters. And the session was four sets of three times a quarter with 200-meter jog and a lap jog in between sets. And she's like, don't tell me time. I don't want that expectation. I just want to know pace. And because she's very old in terms of maturity, she, in, you know, experience, <laughs> she said, just give me a, a pace expectation. I said, well, anywhere between 5K to 8K pace today, what feels like that. And I go, if I have to put a time on that, it's probably going to be between 82 to maybe 78. And she ended up just, you know, nailing 80s because that was the sweet spot for her coming back for like her second or third work after being on the shelf for six weeks. And it's like, that's great. She got a hard stimulus and like she was cooked. That was it. We, we got what we needed to got, get out of the day. Awesome. That's just where she was at on the day. So again, it's this higher understanding about what intervals are trying – can achieve and trying to achieve. But if you're just trying to get you know, people to follow directions, which sometimes interval to se- sessions default to, you're not prepping anyone to race. You're prepping them just to follow directions, which is going to result in – People not being able to run what they're supposed to be able to run because they did this interval session. Because the other thing, too, is to know it's not a direct transfer. You do an interval session, and then all of a sudden, two days later, or three days later, or four, weeks later or four days later, you're ready to go, and oh my God, you just ran this. It's like, no. It takes a minimum if you're mega fit for a week for your body to absorb that type of work. And if you're not fit, it might take three weeks. You know, <laughs> So knowing that too, you can't say on a Tuesday, you just did this. You ripped these mile repeats. You're ready to go and run a national or state qualifier in the 5K or whatever. You probably just shot them and they're going to run like crap because you should have done that mile repeat session, that hard one, three weeks before the big one.
0: Yep. No, exactly. And I think, you know, you made the chef comparison and I'll make the artist comparison as I think coaches need to stop seeing themselves as like systematic mathematicians and start seeing themselves as, as artists painting and coloring and, and drawing something that is, that is creative when they create their interval sets. I mean, you mentioned doing a thousand short break and then 300. Um, and I think that, that that's something that more coaches need to be able to do is I've really gotten away in a lot of sense from doing straight what I call straight repeats, so six by mile, you know, eight by K, whatever have you, and um inserting some sort of variability in them. So maybe it's sets of thousand two hundred or mile 400 or something like that where we're getting a little variability and we're getting some pace change to add a different stimulus to our kind of standard straight repeats to kind of change the task demand and also get the athletes used to dealing with a change in fatigue, a change in rhythm and and, um, getting away from that kind of lock into zone and time trial mode, which is necessary to train, right? But it's also necessary to train people how to get out of that. And, you know, I, I've mentioned his name quite a bit, but uh, the famous coach Igloy, um, when I look at the training that he created or Bob Schull's book, who was a gold medalist in the 5K, where he talks about it, it, it seems very artistic, like where he's sitting there and watching the reactions of the the runners training around the track and he'll tell them to run at certain effort levels instead of paces, and then he'll sit there and he'll adjust and change it, change to the next rep effort level or the next rep distance based on that. And and to me, that is coaching, right? And I think what we've gotten away from is we've gotten away from that artistic coaching to a more um, systematic uh, application of, of interval sets where we want this golden number and this golden set where it's like if I do this, then it should Or it certainly will translate to this adaptation or this performance on the track.
1: And that's under the mistaken cloak of a scientific method. Because a scientific method, you as a scientist can verify this if I'm completely off base, is artistry. It's, I have a hypothesis. This might work. I test it. Oh, it worked. And then you draw a conclusion. Well, it worked because... Or it did not work. nine times out of ten, it does not work. Right, right. <laughs> and exactly. For us for racing and for training, that is what your scientific method is. It you know, algorithms are not a scientific method. They're formulaic, they're the same result every time. Every the same, everything's the same, all in you know all circumstances ideal, you're gonna get the same result every time. I have never known anyone to get the exact same result every single time, following some prescriptive, you know, algorithm or very basic cookie cutter recipe or workout prescriptions of volumes like it's just meant to give you a conceptual understanding so you can go and experiment so you can go and be a scientist because then you get to test what works and does not work for each individual person and plus your own coaching practice and that's that's our method i think this will work okay let's do this all right now let's go race it worked great here's why it worked and you need to be really critical about why it worked. And this is my quick little rant on high school coaches. Remember, high school coaches, you are playing with house money. <laughs> you are playing with lungs and hearts that are getting bigger every year, limbs that are getting longer, non-fat muscle mass that is being added every single day. I mean these kids are on the ultimate performance enhancing drug called growing and puberty, <laughs> I wish – I mean I wish I could coach people like that. I'd be the best coach. Everyone would get better every year. You know, you could almost do nothing and just say show up and run a mile a day and they will get better. You know, So before you give yourself too big of a pat on the back, realize that that's the play-doh you're playing with. And then also prepare them so that when they go to college, the college coach isn't like, oh my god, OK. I expect you to get better every year because at age 19 – you know, 18, 19, 20, they kind of stopped growing very rapidly. So, so now the college coach's job is a little bit more difficult.
0: It, exactly. And, and please note, and this is a tangent, but we're known for tangents, so let's do it. Um, and, and I think please note that John and I have both both coached high school runners. So it's not, it's not like we're uh, denigrating the profession. We're saying you have to realize what you work with. And we realize that a lot of times we're playing with um, – You know, house money when we inherit really talented athletes
1: that are going to be (laughs) good (laughs) regardless of what we do. Yeah, you give me a fifteen thirty-five k female, like I'll I'll get her down to fifteen twenty, but yeah. that's not rocket science. He was already good. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think no, you just have to be aware.
0: Yeah, yes. just be aware. And I think that you know, if I've noticed anything as a college coach, and you, John, you probably noticed similar, is that one of the things that holds athletes back from high school is is looking backwards and saying like, oh, I improved every year at this level, I should keep this going, and that one of the things we've really tried to work on is, and that I've preached as a coach, is that like things change. You're in, encountering a new environment. Your body is changing and not changing quite as much in that sense. So um, we need to be aware of those and that, and we need to um, deal with that and work through it the best we can. But what we can't do is look backwards and say, I did A, B, and C in high school, therefore these are my expectations. Because what I, I, what ends up happening is, high, is a lot of times high school, especially on the phenom level, come in and have these expectations of what they do and what they did. I know I did as a college kid. And then those end up holding them back because they... By looking backwards, they don't allow themselves to adjust, adapt, and look forward in a new direction. So they become locked in this pattern of this used to work under these circumstances, and they don't realize that my circumstances have changed or that I might not handle things in the same way as I did when I was 16 years old and had, like, growth hormone, you know, squirting (laughs) throughout my body causing me to recover and bounce back from crazy stuff. It's the reason high school kids can do, or it's the reason Jim Ryan was able to do what he did in high school, right? Training-wise. Or Alan Webb. Or Alan Webb. Webb, Or any number of those kids in those programs you see that that work out crazy hard maybe the day before a race. High school kids can do that stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. You have to be cognizant of when you get to a new level of maturity you have to understand what got me here will not get me there that next place you want to go and you need conventions yes like the you know you need a curriculum you need a very foundational way to teach people this art of distance running so you have to start with your conjugations and your basic verbs and all this stuff so yes it needs to be prescriptive and it needs to be structured in the beginning but steve and i are trying to allude to once you get beyond that scope when someone when a pupil has been under your tutelage for two three years and has shown proficiency there you you know you're doing them a disservice if you just say we're going to keep going on with what we've been going on with it's kind of like as you work your way through mathematics you you're taught that everything in arithmetic and trigonometry everything's hard and fast that's how it is these are these formulas they work and then you get to calculus and it's like well, you know, maybe, and then you get to advanced calculus, and it's like, just show your work, because it's, you know, what we're trying to get at here is not really real, like, and then you get to, like, quantum physics, and it's like, all bets are off, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, it depends where really you're on that stage of scaffolding, but, you know, bringing this back into topic, you know, we kind of covered the mile, 400 repeats, K repeats, let's, you know, sink our teeth into the other two big ones that we identified, the kind of Fred Meyer workout as, or one-stop shop, 600, 400, 300, 200 breakdowns. And then the other longer breakdown session, one, you know, four laps, three laps, two laps, one laps, or mile 12, eight, four repeats.
0: So I'll, I'll start with a quick story on the six, four, three, two, um, but on a former, former coach that I worked with, um, <laughs> who we probably all know, um, I remember one time he saw a, uh, a, we'll call them a rival coach doing this workout out at the track and he comes back and he's like, gosh, Steve, so and so's, I think they, they stole our workout and now they're doing it and they realize that this is the key to running fast and that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the, look at them. They're panicking because they stole our workout. And in my head, I'm like, six four three two is not magical yeah (laughs) like we did this stuff in high school in probably middle school like it's a simple breakdown um so so that story being told i i think there is nothing magical about it just like no intervals but i think what it's designed to do is it's it's that fred meyer's workout like you said for those of you who don't know fred meyer it's a it's a grocery store slash everything store where you can get anything and everything. Base um, conglomerate, it, yeah. Yeah. Owned, yeah, owned by Kruger. There you go. So uh, essentially, what it is is this uh, it's this mix of what I'd call like everything, depending on how the paces go, from three k, five k pace all the way down to mile, eight hundred pace. So it's for everything from a tad bit of endurance to some good speed session in there and in in doing it in that set it's almost like you're combining both sides of the coin trying to get both sides at the same time and a lot of times it's used as all you I'll say a filler workout that's not the right term but it's used as as by a lot of coaches as this workout to say like oh I need this stimulus and I need this stimulus so let's just kind of blend it together
1: right it's to me a very dangerous workout in you know, two regards, because yes, it can be a totem where you say, oh, six, four, three, two. That's, that's some, there's some magic to, oh, why isn't it six, five, four, three, two, one, or 700, 500, 300, 100? I mean, you know, like it easily could be that. So, you know, that's just a convenient round numbers for us. And then two, depending on how you administer it or the design of it, it can fry, even the most fit athlete, very, very well. So, you know, I typically say, okay, 6-4-3-2, you know, you're going mile pace for the 6, 800-meter pace for the 4, 300-meter pace is a little bit faster than that 800-meter pace, and then, you know, the 2 is kind of 4 by 4 speed or, you know, breakneck speed are all out because you're trying to create some type of stimulus or exposure to faster, speedier running relatively when fatigued that's the point of the three two that's the hardest those are the hardest reps because you're fatigued and you need to go at closing speed type um, pace but the person's getting neuromuscular, central nervous system like these brain things are getting fatigued because even if you take a lap jog that's not really enough after this after the first set and if you do three sets even with someone who's mega fit and i've seen this firsthand a Colleague, you know, who was coaching an 800 meter, 1500 meter runner, had a big championship meet on a weekend, a Friday, Saturday. They did 6 4 3 2 three times with this young lady and they got after it on a Tuesday. She qualified okay through the rounds and then just pfft, on Saturday, she was just shot. It was just too much. Because depending again how you administer it, it's a difficult session, even for someone who's very capable. So I actually. I will shy away from it or my place in a training sequence will be kind of early in a big training block or very at the last thing of a training block when there's still about a good two weeks before a race. Never during the racing season. Never. That's like hands off. We aren't touching that with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) Because it's just – it's too easy to get carried away in that type of session. And then again, because it's too easy to get carried away – what ends up happening, because you're typically gonna do this with more speedier type people, like milers, 800 meter people, they can easily get carried away and then you compromise the very thing you're trying to do, which is prepare them to perform, prepare them right. So I've I've just usually said, mm, it's just not worth it. The opportunity cost or cost benefit ratio does not sync up. So that's my little my little rant on 6432. But moving to more distance oriented breakdowns for your 5K, 10K people mile 1284, what's so magical about four laps, three laps, two laps, one lap, Stevo?
0: Well, it's easy to count.
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: <laughs> uh, y- y- you know, again, whenever I encounter like traditional always done interval sets, I mean, they're always done for a reason. They serve a purpose. I get it. I'm not disparaging them. We use them to a degree. Um, but I always think like, all right. What if we did it the opposite? What if we did 4, 8, 12, 16? Or hmm. what, you know, what if we changed this to this, this, and this, and this? And obviously it changes the demand. And I think one of the interesting things um, about most interval sets like this is there are always breakdowns, right? Because it's always like there's this underlying assumption that we have to get shorter and faster as the workout goes or just faster as the workout goes. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's inherent and that might be just like this feel good, like, oh, if we run faster, then my athletes feel better about it. Um, mm-hmm. so I think there's, I think there's a lot of that underlying this breakdown mentality, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, again, it's familiar and I think a lot of times that familiarity breeds comfort, but yeah, you have to ask yourself, Okay. What is so special about it? Can you do it a different way? Can you package it as more of a ladder of breakdowns, or do you practice it more, you know, with shorter rest or you know, longer recovery? I mean again, those are it's that's the thing that you're always trying to look at. Like to me it's about what is the recovery to work ratio? What does that time look like? Is it one to one, one to one point five, one to three, one to four? Is that aerobic metabolism and stretching that a high demand of the workout because if it is that means you're going to more influence that's going to more influence the recovery ratio to right. work ratio than then how hard you're going to crank on the work ratio because that's really where you need the aerobic um stimulus is in how f- small you can make recovery ratio
0: and i think that's that's the key that people need to decide and that they often don't when they assign sets is like what actually matters in this interval set right does the intensity of it is that the most important thing is it the uh, the physiological benefit of um Or like the aerobic side, so that the recovery matters more, so that if we, you know, lengthen this out too much, then we might have VO2 drop or whatever, and then we won't be as aerobically stimulated, blah, blah, blah. Um, Is it in the short stuff, having our our neural system kind of rewired or um, (laughs) re-engaged and recharged so that we can keep that kind of maximum firing of the muscles as we reach fatigue like what is the point and like what is the important part is it intensity recovery volume what is the most important point for each interval that we're trying to do and i think that kind of guides what you're trying to do rather than seeing it as like all right i'm going to do this repeat this interval set of mile 12 eight, 4 and then thinking okay let me pull out my pace chart and according to this pace chart Um, according to this pace chart, I should run this at this speed because I've run a 5K at this and I should take this much rest. And it's not not a chart that determines that. Instead, it should be like, what are you trying to get out of it that does?
1: Right. If the the desire is quality, then you tell the athlete, let's say you're working with some... Milers, and you're trying to run quarters at slightly faster than mile goal pace. You use, you know, and it's really in the season. Instead of saying you're going to run quarters at 60 and you're going to take 60 seconds rest, you run quarters, you know, at this kind of what your goal mile race pace is type rhythm. We're going to record that. We're not going to watch, we'll record it. Like, keep your expectations high at this level, but we're going to record that. And then you wouldn't take. You know, and I always tell people you're going to take either as much recovery as you need to continue to do that for at least this number of reps, or you're going to take 80% of the recovery you'll need, you know, to feel fully recovered. And then what you're watching is you're watching how long that recovery takes in that type of session. And as an athlete gets more fit, two things should happen. If you're returning to that workout or something similar to it, and, you know, you should naturally see if you're coaching in that way, the recovery Uh, interval go down because they're feeling more prepared and ready to go and rebounding within a session. And you should also potentially see, you know, not quite as dramatic, the interval or the rep itself uh, go a little bit down. Now I would rather that the recovery interval naturally go down and you keep the rep because we're in goal race pace or mile race pace for a mere reps. You can keep that steady but naturally, the the interval of recovery should go down. Per the athlete's just feeling of okay, if I feel ready to go now, coach, okay, great. All right, it's, you know, one minute less than it took two weeks ago. That's a good sign because you're trying to do four of those laps in a row <laughs> with no rest. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but by turning the keys over a little bit to an athlete and saying, all right, today we're going to do you know some all-out 150s. You know, this is high neural load. You know, standard. Uh, recovery for like middle distance runners says you're gonna take three to four minutes, and that's you know to kind of resynthesize all these things and get yourself ready to go again. I just tell people take as much time as you need to run every rep as it is the best highest quality rep you can run. Do not start, do not be ready to go until you are committed to a hundred percent quality for that rep. And it's very curious to see because you also as a coach, if you're watching, if you're observing, you get to see you know some things that expressed in that preparation in that like are they walking 300 you know meters are they jogging are they jogging and then walking are they pacing back and forth are they nervous you know and then that tells you a little bit more about them psycho like from a psych- psychology perspective than just simply a physiological perspective and then you can use that to help guide them even better in sessions moving forward but if you just say we're in 150s at form your race pace and you're going to take three minutes recovery you have now taken all the observational learning that you could get out of that type of day away and simply said here's what you're going to do your cog on an assembly mm-hmm. line and you're going to do as i say because that's the industrial complex mindset which can get short-term results that's fine like in the short term that will yield some return but you're stunting the capacity for that athlete to maximize the highest return possible, potentially, in the long-term. So you have to ask yourself, what's your goal here? Short-term gains or long-term, interesting, unexpected breakthroughs?
0: Exactly. I mean, I, and it's also giving that athlete that power so that they feel empowered and take some responsibility too. Um, right, because
1: in a race, yeah, they, I, <laughs> it's all on their shoulders. Like, exactly. The last thing you want is an athlete looking to coach to direct them in the race okay
0: go now go now all all we're doing as coaches is trying to get get athletes to make the right decisions during the race and part of that is getting them to make the right decisions choose to make the right decisions in practice notice i said choose to make the right decisions not be told to make the right decisions and i think that's that's a key difference and i think you know when i do that with my athletes a lot of times you see them they just get into a rhythm of taking as much recovery as they need and if you clock it sometimes it you know depending on the interval set sometimes it's 90 seconds sometimes it's 75 seconds sometimes it's a minute 40 sometimes it's 2 minutes whatever but it it creates this responsibility of them to also know their body and like learn from it because a lot of times if you say hey do these take as much rest as you need to, uh, to be able to get through the next one and, you know, whatever your instructions are. The younger immature athlete who doesn't have confidence in himself will take extra rest just to make sure that he can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, the kind of experienced um, self-confidence athlete who knows where his limits lie and knows where they don't lie He'll take exactly as much rest as he needs to get the job done and the effort that he needs to do it in, and it's very—it's a very distinct difference. And what that can tell you a lot of times is how much, how the athlete sees themselves internally, and whether they're trying, and whether they actually have that—that that external facade of confidence and internally. So I think those—those those are there are ways to manipulate decision making and empowerment and who has the ability to make the choice in um, in interval sets that give you as a coach some vital fatigue uh, some vital feedback and the same goes with that pacing decisions if I say someone hey I want you to run at 5k effort then you get to see what they think 5k effort is
1: right exactly yeah
0: you know versus you assigning and guessing, and then being like oh that was too fast or too slow you get to see where they think 5k effort is at that pace so it's it's from a coaching standpoint like you should see your workouts as opportunities to gather data and gather information almost more so than than you do in a race because it gives you information that guide can guide your coaching during that set and other workouts
1: And that's the question you have to ask yourself are you playing are you attempting to get athletes to play a finite game or a more infinite game right and the difference is when you think about game theory finite games are like one single soccer match there's a start there's a finish there's a clear winner and loser we're going to decide this right here right now or you're slicing a pie you only can slice a pie so often before and divide it until it's gone now more and more infinite game is a game that's continuously played a game that is played so you can keep playing the game. And that is kind of what track and even cross country for distance runners is like, we're just trying to continue to play the game in this class level. Like you get yes, you all get to play the regular season game, but you have to qualify to your next championship meet conference, sectionals, regionals, whatever. And then there you have to qualify to the next one and the next one. So the this game can be either finite or it can be a little bit more infinite because, as you also know too, if you're working in this classic setting with an athlete for several years, you have four to five years to get them and scaffold them so that the whole point of qualifying, you know, to a championship meet is not this huge thing that it was their freshman or sophomore year when it was this big breakthrough. Then it's just like, man, I showed up and did it. Like, had let's say, you know, University of Houston had Brian. You know, your ace runner, freshman year ran a sub four in the most stack race indoors possible. You got him into Milrose somehow and he just hung on. And he got eighth place and he ran a sub four. He would have been ecstatic. But you waited until, you know, the middle of his junior year to say, hey, yeah, we're going go to a meet that no one's at after you registered a fall in cross country. You're not going to have anyone to compete against, you know, as soon as after a pacer drops out. And you got to go do this by yourself. And it was just like, oh yeah, I did it. That's great. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Be- because he's playing a more infinite game, which is there are bigger things at stake here, rather than this finite. Did I win or lose this 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 race? This like early season prep race. Like, I tell athletes all the time, like, you know, when you look at a start list, the goal is you're looking at a start list not for who's in it, who did this last year or who made the olympics or who was an all-american or a state champion you're looking at starless to know who's in it and who's going to take the lead who's going to just try to sit on you and snipe you at the end because people are horribly you know um uncreative and horribly uh, repetitive with their racing tactics and when they find a race tactic that works they just stick with that and most people do not take the lead but if you know you have a certain intention and a game plan for a race, like we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and you make it completely dependent on you and there's no interdependence. Like I'm going to do this and I don't care what anyone else does. And you get better because you learn in that early season racing experience a tactic you were afraid to do or you've never done before. And it, it fails miserably. That's fine. That's okay. You've learned a lot. You're you get to move on. But if you just continue with the set pattern that worked and, yeah, you get the snipe, you get the snipe, that's fine, but when you get to that stage where you have to m- decide, am I going to play an infinite game or continue in this finite, then you're going to be stuck because all the players at the the higher levels are playing an infinite game with each other. That is a game that is you know, just played to continue to be played year after year, season after season. So, so let's tie
0: this back. <laughs> I'm going to try this and try and wrap this up. Good luck.
1: Uh, <laughs> as always. <laughs> Our meandering (laughs)
0: meandering journey on this podcast always amazes me. I thought
1: we stayed on topic pretty good for the majority of it. We did.
0: We did. But, you know, here it is. We talked about infinite game versus finite game there at the end. And I, I think the same thing holds true for interval sets. Is if you stick to only the tried and true, only those kind of key ones that everyone does that we talked about, And don't vary from that. You are locked in a finite game because you have to get faster at each of those and that is your only option, right? If I do six by mile with three minutes rest and that's it, then the only thing that gives my athlete any confidence is if I run faster and faster and faster and faster and we all know that is impossible to hold. And then the first thing they ask is when they have a, they start settling, plateauing is how come I'm not running this interval set faster? And what you've done is you've created an athlete who has to gain their confidence and prove themselves in their interval sets in order to run well, when the key should be to train what we need to train so that it translates into racing faster. That makes sense. So to, mm-hmm. so to me. Being creative, being artistic—like taking that that master chef type approach and figuring out what you're actually trying to do—and when you're creating intervals and creating workouts, that's playing the the long game, right? That's creating athletes who are used to variability, who can handle a, lot, a large uh, variation in workload, who aren't stuck in thinking I have to do this workout to prove that I'm ready to race. Yeah. And that's kind of my feeling on it.
1: That's yeah. That's the easy out. That's you're hiding. If you're doing that, you're hiding, you're wanting to be picked. You're wanting someone to show up and say, I pick you for my team because you were able to do these things within this confined constraint that's been done forever. And that's dreaming. That's not going to happen. I'm not a fan of dreaming because dreaming means you're just sitting there waiting to be picked, waiting to be the next thing that already came. What I'm more a fan of is having goals and saying, oh, there's a path that a thousand people have gone where it's this kind of scaffolding, doing this work and this deeper understanding and you've worked your way up and you've mastered one part of practice or mastered one part. That's a gaping hole in your repertoire. And then you have the critical feedback from coaching or racing experience that then discerns the direction you're going next after you've mastered that. And you still maintain that fundamental and, and as you work on the next thing. But you're always having this expectation of where am I going to get to next and how do I get there? And when you just are in that mode of goal setting, you can get to that space but it takes a lot of work and effort. But if you're just saying pick me, pick me, pick me because I did all the things that people before me did, that means I get the automatic in. It's like no, it's not happening. It's not that's not reality anymore. So, you know, and that's the thing you have to be interesting and you have to own your journey, you know, as I tell people, and expect of yourself what you expect of a person who's reaching the level you're aspiring to to reach. Expects of themselves. So if you're trying to be a state champion or national champion, treat yourself like that Mm -hmm. as you would treat yourself like the state champion, even though it's a foolish dream or, you know, you don't think it can happen or, well, then don't have that expectation. But if that is truly your goal, treat yourself like that every single day. In practice and have – and tell your coach or if you're if you're a coach that you see a talented athlete and you're like, man, this person can be really good. And you're saying, look, how good do you want to be? How good can you be? You say, I think you can be this good. Do you want to be that good? And they say yes. Well, then you're going to say, I'm going to treat you like that. And if you don't treat yourself like that, we're going to have problems because I'm going to treat you like that. So you need to treat yourself like that. And that's what this whole preparation of you know, work for racing is about. And when we miss that and we just fall into root, recipe, where's the manual? Just tell me how to do it. This is the manual of how you get better. It's a linear progression that's safe, that's hiding. But our sport is not going to move forward. We're not going to have more exciting you know, athletes and races if people hid. If you, you create a population of people who hide in time trial races – that doesn't get me wired. That Doesn't get me excited. But when someone goes on with, whoa, they just took the lead and they are not in their 50 meter. Now I'm That this person's whoa. This person must think they know something that they and yes, they do. They're ready to go. And you're like, wow, that was badass. <laughs> that's those. Those are all the races. I don't care who who runs it. That I get most excited about. But when someone's like, oh, they just followed the you know the the person in first the whole time and then I'll kicked them. Yes, that's smart because you got the finite win. But The long tail of it or the infinite of it is you didn't really do anything special. You just did something that people have been doing for a long time that's not really memorable. And that is, again, where Steve is trying to go with saying be an artist. Use science because you need a system to verify, to say, hmm, whatever this works, it doesn't work. Or it does work? That's a scientific method. is great method that artists can use. They're not mutually exclusive. They go together. But being a hack, being someone who's just following the prescription because you're told this is to do that, don't fool yourself. You're really working at McDonald's versus that new five-star Michelin, you know, restaurant that is the rave that everyone's talking about. But don't be delusional. Don't be dreaming.
0: Can I sum it up any better? So. We'll say thank you guys for listening to our always meandering, but hopefully informative uh, podcast. Um,
1: this is what the people want. We're giving it to them. We love right. it. We love it. We, we keep uh, giving it to you. And if we're not giving it to you as frequently as you want it, or if we're not giving you what you want, let us know. Yeah.
0: Just bother us.
1: We're human. We check Twitter. so
0: <laughs> we, we do. <laughs> we're not big time. So thanks for those guys who bothered us. Shout out to you guys. Um, Actually, let's do this. I'm going to shout out to who actually said it. Where is it? Um, Here we go. Sorry for the delay. I'm just Jason Garcia. My boy. There we go. Number
1: one stunner. Thank you, Jay Garcia.
0: Thank you. All right. Take care, guys.